Hello and welcome to the Cancer Lads podcast. My name is Ryan Collard and I am one half of Team Cancer Lads. On this podcast, we will be bringing you discussions about key cancer topics and most importantly, raising awareness of real men with real cancer stories. This is a platform for men to open up about their cancer journeys, the ups, the downs and every bold joke in between. Okay, so in this episode, I'm going to be discussing what it's like to be diagnosed with cancer as a young adult. And I just want to start by saying that there's absolutely no good age whatsoever to get cancer. And this is absolutely not a competition. There are, however, particular negatives linked to whichever stage of life you're in. And I can only talk from my personal experience and that of other adults that I've spoken to that have also been diagnosed with cancer. I think that although it's still a big shock, maybe when you're older you start to expect more health problems and little twinges, etc. But also, the older you are, the harder it is to deal with the absolute brutal regime of treatment. On the flip side, I cannot and I don't even want to comprehend what it must be like as a child. This is by far the unfairest and the cruelest. An innocent life yet to experience the majority of life's pleasures and experiences. It shouldn't be allowed to be a thing, but it is, and by God should we rally around any child with cancer and make sure that they are loved and given as many incredible opportunities and experiences as possible. But, as a young adult, you get yourself to where a point where you're reaching your peak, okay? And everyone says that your 20s are probably your fittest, your healthiest, your kind of elite years, basically. So to be diagnosed as a young adult almost catches you off guard. You almost feel invincible and, and, and this is kind of like the biggest reality check of them all. And you know what I find extremely strange? It's that there's so many more young people getting it. I mean, I'm obviously definitely more aware of it all happening once I've been in it and when you are in it. You start seeing cancer adverts on TV or at least paying attention to them. Adverts pop up on your phone and of course I'm going to see more through our cancer ads pages. But surely I wasn't this blinded when I was younger, 23, pre-cancer. I'd genuinely seen and heard so little of it. And when I did, it was, it was always those extreme cases on the news. So what is it now that we're exposed to that other generations weren't maybe as much? Is it our food? Everything now is instant with so many additives and preservatives. Are these chemicals a factor? Are we going to find out in years to come? That things like pot noodles were absolutely laced with some cancer-grown chemical. To be fair, I kind of hope so because I've had my fair share and maybe do some hefty compensation like those who have been working with asbestos. Or is it technology like there's signals flying all around us now? Are our bodies just cooking away in the gamma rays? As technology gets stronger, are things like cancer going to be more prominent? Like it's already guaranteed that one in two of us will get it in our lifetime. So it already seems to be following that trend. That's huge. These conspiracy theories are kind of interesting and I think there must be some truth behind them. Anyway, that's a different episode, but it does make you think, doesn't it? Anyhow, back to what this episode is about. So what is it like being diagnosed with cancer as a young adult? Well, it's shit. Very, very, very shit. And that's the end of the episode. Nah. I'm only joking, but that sums it up pretty accurately, and I'll tell you why. When you're a bairn, a young'un, you grow up and you always want to be older. Like, you want to be able to do more. 
I reckon at first you you probably want to be ten. You want to hit the double digits. You're a big boy now. You're top of primary school, which is an elite feeling. Then once you've done that, you get bored of that pretty quickly, and you go right. I want to want to be thirteen. I want to be a teenager. Look at me. I'm a teen. Okay. Then okay. Probably thanks to the Americans, sweet sixteen is the next one. That's more of a a target in America, but I guess it's still a target here as well because that that's when you're top of secondary school and and you kind of feel like you have the attitude of an adult, but you're definitely not. And then it's 18. That's probably the biggest one here in the UK. Freedom. B is B is B is. It's all about getting out in the session. Just, you know, sort of living your life, let's say. But after that, it's also 21. Like, that seems to be another big thing as well. And I think that's, again, more of an American thing. Cause it's pretty much still just B is B is B is. And going out on the sesh. But you can do it in America if you want. So, yeah. Anyway, after 21... You don't really hear anyone desperate to be any age older than that. No one's there like, Ooh, I can't wait to be 34, me. And that's because you can do absolutely anything and everything you want at 21. You're usually fully grown or near enough, and the world is pretty much at the palm of your hands. For me, I'd been in education throughout, and luckily I had like an aim in mind, like a goal in life. I wanted to be a primary school teacher. So straight from school, I went to sixth form, then on to uni before landing my first job as an NQT stands for newly qualified teacher alongside this i was fulfilling my passion for sport playing football uh, a few times a week and indulging in mixed martial arts something i was starting to get a real hunger for i'd done karate kickboxing uh, and boxing throughout my life at different stages and kind of wanted to take it a step further and a bit more seriously so everything was going in the right direction i'd reached my ultimate dream goal of becoming a primary school teacher and had finished my first year with my first ever class the chestnuts absolute legends learning a hell of a lot along the way. I was progressing nicely and enjoying my favourite sports, so physically the fittest and strongest I'd ever been. And just to throw something else in the mix, I'd just met Soph, and yeah, I just knew she was special. At the end of every single date, I had to make sure that there was another one planned. She was lush and obviously still is. So yeah, at 23, you could definitely argue that I was literally living out the best years of my life. I was an extremely positive about life. Almost frustratingly positive, my mum would say at times as I always used to look for the good in everything and everyone. But I actually loved being like that. Like, I just was genuinely an extremely happy person. Now, imagine being at such a high in life, and then hearing those dreaded words, you have cancer. I cannot tell you or even put in words how quickly and dramatically my whole life just flipped upside down. Well, picture this. Just slowly climbing up to the top of the stealth ride in Thorpe Park, Okay. And at this point, it feels like forever climbing up. This represents you working so, so hard for years, building up your character, building up your skills, just building up your life. Then, you make it. You're ticking along at the top, absolutely buzzing that you've made it. And this is you achieving like those sort of first huge life goals. First year as a primary school teacher, physically being the fittest and strongest I've ever been, etc. All of a sudden, boom, 0.5 of a second later, you're at rock bottom and everything is up in the air. Your hopes, your dreams, your career, your future. You've derailed. You've been left absolutely mangled. And now you're terrified of getting back on the ride. This represents you now as an anxious wreck after diagnosis, treatment, side effects, just trying to enjoy life again as the new you. That's what it feels like being diagnosed as a young adult with cancer. You also have to take into consideration now we're also at an age where I felt I should be able to deal with treatment more maturely. 
Like, I'm not a kid anymore. I'm a fully grown man, 23-year-old and adult. I felt like I just needed to get my head down and crack on. You know, like, true caveman, proper bloke style. But I literally just cried like a baby. Felt sorry for myself, looking for sympathy. I actually felt like I went back to being a teenager again. And my parents came to live with us in London, did absolutely everything for us. I literally switched off from the world and they just sorted us out. Appointments, medication, meals, etc. Now, to be honest, the condition I was in, I would have struggled doing even half of that by myself anyway. So I'm thankful for them. But it was very embarrassing. It strips you of any personal dignity. I mean, during my stem cell, my mum had to wash his man. Like, I had nothing left. But you do that for your kids at any age, I'm sure. Anyway, in the hospital that I was in, I was on a ward generally with men about 50, 60 plus, more slightly older. And these guys, for the most part, rocked in, cracked a joke with the nurses, took it like champions, and then marched off like the bravest frontline soldiers, which made me feel even more inadequate. Like, didn't get us wrong. There were obviously others that found it hard, and most likely everyone did in their own way. They were just able to put on brave faces. And I wish I could have done that as well at times. Every now and then, the odd below 30, 35 blow came in. But that was like a rare occasion. You would say that like once in the whole journey of your treatment. And there's just no one to relate to. And that's kind of, that's hard. Like it kind of makes you feel even more sorry for yourself. Because you're just there like, shit, am I the only one? Am I the only 23-year-old like this? I know that some hospitals have teenage cancer trust wards and areas. Because where Sean had his treatment, had one. And every time I went to see him, he was playing pool with some other young cancer adults or watching the footy, playing Xbox. The nurses there, they'd order pizzas in for them on the regular, which was class, like such a nice environment to be having the worst time of your life at, if that makes sense. And then here's me, struggling to get to sleep because I'm opposite 96-year-old Harold, shouting obscenities, clearly in a lot of pain, and ripping his cannula out in a crazy state trying to escape the hospital carny difference all young adults should be able to have treatment in an environment like sean did we need it we deserve it and it's the last thing we should expect comfort and relatability is everything for everyone we're not the cute kids anymore or the sweet old timers we're the in-betweeners and for most people that i've spoken to they have felt the same i felt and i think that we all feel forgotten the world is passing you by and you're just still. You start worrying about falling behind your peers. Everyone around you is moving forwards, making progress and just cracking on in life. And you're stuck. And if anything, you're moving backwards. I found that really hard. I felt very, very sorry for myself. And I started thinking like super selfishly. Why are they still going to work and just not stopping everything to see and be with me? Do they not know how bad it is? Do they, do they not know what I'm going through? It actually broke me heart because I thought that no one cared. But on the other hand, I had hundreds of messages and some people would be messaging daily and things like that. But I just couldn't understand why they weren't with us all the time. I mean, I totally understand now, like life isn't that easy. It doesn't work like that, especially when you're having treatment in London. And most of my friends were in like Sunderland, Liverpool. With that in mind, like most people I've spoken to, you learn a hell of a lot about your family and your friends. Some people surprised us in an incredible way and did everything that they could. Others shocked us and did barely anything. And unfortunately for your mental health, it's those people that you focus on more than those who were amazing. And I just couldn't stop thinking. But what about all those amazing times we had? Like the memories, the laughs, how close we were or how close we are. And where are you? Like, where are you? 
and nobody could do enough. I felt like I was, I always felt like they should do more, and I hated feeling like that. I could literally feel the positivity was just draining out of us, and suddenly, I was the biggest Debbie Downer in the history of Debbie Downers. When people said anything positive like, ah, oh, isn't it amazing how much your markers have come down? I'd always respond with something negative or even patronising and sarcastic like, I weigh I course, like, but I still have a million rounds left and I'm in a lot of pain. It's so amazing. People didn't really know how to approach us. Probably put a lot of people off even trying. Those closest to us did see through that and just kind of continued being themselves as much as possible. Nay one more than Sean, obviously, and I'd say who dealt with it all via jokes and tacking the piss. And at the time, I used to take it like proper seriously, proper personally. Like, how how can you call us an egg or say stuff like, ah, I might be the better looking twin now? It's just something daft like that. But I think secretly I loved it that whatever situation we were going to be in, I was always still going to be his twin who he was going to be competing with right to the very end. So never change. But yeah, I changed a lot. And I still have kind of kept that negative aura for a long, long while. Even more so when I started growing my hair back and looking more normal to the human eye. Everyone would compliment us and say, Oh, you look so good now. Or it's so nice to see you look in your cell again. And the first words out of my mouth every single time were, But, but I have terrible fatigue. But I wear hearing aids. But I'm an anxious wreck. But I have PTSD from the trauma. But I have body confidence issues. But I'm infertile. And I could have went on and on. And I don't know why or what I wanted to achieve from that. People to still sympathise and just feel sorry for us. Like, I don't know why. It achieves absolutely nothing apart from just affirming my shit situation. It's only really very recently that I've started to kind of change my mindset a little bit. And focus on what I can do. And the amazing people I have in my life. Even still though, to this day, when someone says something nice and positive, there's this cancer demon in the back of my mind, ready to spurt out, but this, but that bullshit. I'm just more aware of it now, and I'm ready to change that outlook, and just turn around and go, you know what, fuck yeah, I do look healthy and feel good now, cheers lads. Right. The most criminal part of it all, and by far, the biggest problem with being diagnosed as a young adult, is as soon as you finish treatment, you are chucked, back into the real world and pretty much left to just go back to normal life. There's no program in place where you're checked in on. You'd expect regular counselling sessions, physio sessions, absolutely not. And if there is, you kind of have to find those support groups, charities yourself. And then you're kind of just like given like maybe a chunk of them or something. And it's just not, not really targeted support that you need. So let me kind of, give you another terrible analogy of what that feels like let's pretend you are prime messy in the world cup final you've already curled in an absolute raker from 53 yards to draw your team equal and it's pretty much all on you to win the game tough time but instead of going back into the dressing room somebody whips you into this dark terrifying back room where under absolutely zero anesthetic they pin you down and they perform an operation with a rusty saw and some sticky tape where they swap your brain and legs with Harry Maguire's and then they send you back out onto the pitch for the second half and expect you to win them the World Cup. Look, that ain't happening. That's how we feel. We're thrown back into the real world of work, 
socialising, being a good partner, sports or whatever else we liked before cancer, and you're just shell, a shell of the old you. The annoying thing is, we're just left to figure it out all ourselves, which is just full of constant heartbreaking realisations. Things you can't do anymore, things you can't do the same anymore, you feel different, you don't have the same confidence, you're broken and you just need some guidance. But you're forced back to work early because life and rent doesn't stop for nobody. You can't afford to spend an adequate amount of time trying to rebuild yourself physically and emotionally. So I was back to being a teacher like two months after my final bit of treatment and was still expected to give the kids my absolute best, which of course I most definitely tried. But I also had to reach targets, you know, making sure that I could move up the pay scale. Like it's madness. My colleagues and like thankfully were absolutely amazing and caring and supportive. However, we had assigned a new head while I was having treatment and she'd asked to meet us. Now, I did on one of my better days when I could actually get out of bed and I'll never ever to this day forget what she said was. Now, bear this in mind. This is the first time I'd ever met the woman and my colleagues had already pre-warned her about all the treatment I've had and of the silky smooth ghost-like egg about to walk through the door. So, just after I poured my heart out, explaining my tear-shedding story, probably shed a few tears myself while seeing it, she turns around she says this, Ah, oh, I knew someone who had testicular cancer and he was back to normal in two months. Why? I was frozen. I wish I had the bollocks at the time to give her an absolute earful, but instead I just said, Ah, oh, I wish that was the case, but I've got I've got a stem cell transplant coming up and I c- can't really predict when it will end because so far I've always needed something extra, trying to keep as professional as possible. Here's me, not even sure if I'd lived to work another day and I had some weapon of a human questioning me treatment. I knew at that point I'd want to get out of there ASAP, not the kind of person you want to be working for. But as a young lad who's only got a year's work experience under his belt, I was keen to impress and I, I always tried to be a people pleaser. And, and this just kind of added on to the pressures of me getting back to normal. At the time as well, it made me feel like I was kind of making this a bigger deal than what it was. Like, am I just making this, turning this into a big deal? Is this, is this a, it's actually something pretty mediocre and I should be over this like am I, am I dramatizing this as such and a couple of people on our page have said the exact same one of our first thoughts is sort of how am I going to manage work around this and it's such a sad thought really and emotionless management really doesn't help in the slightest what's even more annoying is that you've got people that will take a day off work or even a week off work with the sniffles and here's me and plenty of other people in the cancer community that are trying to figure out how we can maybe get a day in work or what we can do because we feel like we've let work down by being diagnosed with cancer as if that's our fault. So yeah, being diagnosed with cancer as a young adult is really rough. We deserve a lot more support, especially when we're out of treatment and trying to navigate back into the real world as different people. For a lot of people, things that they've worked on their whole lives and they've been building up to can just be ripped away from them because of this diagnosis. Hopes and dreams crushed, forced to create and follow new passions, as if that's as easy as it sounds. Like, you can't just click your fingers and go, ah, I love painting now. Like, it's a whole process of experimenting and trying new things. 
there is a lot of trauma and grief involved but by god does it build you as a person and i'm sure i'm talking for everyone when i say that we have a completely new outlook on life and we understand and value all those little things and the important things trivial things now i could not give a monkey's about couldn't care less about some things pre-cancer i'd usually panic and worry about i always just think to myself now what's the worst that can actually happen and if the end result of that isn't realistically me dying or losing so for my family then i'm happy spending time with loved ones creating new memories and having the best experiences with the best people is literally all i'm focused on now thank you so so much for listening to the cancel ads podcast every single thing that we do we do to raise awareness mainly because men's cancers and men's cancer stories aren't talked about enough so we will continue to do our little bit to make sure that as many men's cancer stories are heard and shared out there to raise as much awareness as possible please follow our cancer lads pages on insta facebook and twitter for updates on future episodes and also just to see all of the other work that we do in the cancer community that's all for me today how we